Hi, hello, and welcome to the Back to the Pavilion podcast. This is episode 51 of the original podcast to talk to former cricketers about their lives, careers, and experiences since hanging up their boots the last time. All previous 50 episodes are still available to listen to wherever you get your podcast from. So if you have missed any, then do please check them out. There are some fantastic stories for you there. Today, we talk to a player who represented not one but two countries at international level, playing over 50 matches for Scotland and England, plus a distinguished county career, which saw him win the county championship with Yorkshire before finishing his career with Durham. To find out what he's been doing since then, join me as we welcome Gavin Hamilton back to the pavilion. It was a bit of both, really. I think um, I had a semi-decent year the first year. I mean, obviously, I was on the back of the, my bowling issues at Yorkshire, and, and obviously, I knew Martin very well, and he said, look, you, you know, do you want to come up as a batter and, you know, just see if your bowler can come back? Um, I said, yeah, absolutely. I was at a loose end. It was the first time I realised that I'd have to go into the real world. Um, and it was a real eye-opener. Um, and then I only had two months of worrying, and then Martin got came, came to me. Um, so, yeah, but unfortunately, I got injured within the first two weeks and snapped a tendon or something in my finger. But So I had eight weeks out, but I had a, I had a decent year. I bowled all right and I got a few runs, nothing special, but competed in the first team and that did all right. And the second year on pre-season tour, it was, um, I'd, I'd struggled over the winter, just sort of mentally, really. And it was just, it got to the stage where I was exhausted, absolutely exhausted of thinking about bowling. It was all night, all day, every morning. Um it just got to the stage where I just had enough, and it, it came to a head on a pre-season tour to Dubai in with Durham, and I just I, I just couldn't put myself through it anymore. And I had a word with Martin. He said, "Well, look, just play as a batter this year. Do what you can." It was really nice of him. They could have easily just sort of cut it short, and and I did all right. Got, got into the one-day team, and yeah, it was just a. It was I was never going to get another contract. Hey, I didn't want one, and I think I had that conversation with Martin at the time. He said, "Look." You know, it's just part ways. It's, you know, there's no no hard feelings. We gave it the best chance, and, you know, and, I, and I thanked him for it. I mean, you played on for Scotland for for five more summers. Was that always mm-hmm. something that you were going to do? Um, yes and no. I think it was good. Um, yeah, oh, yes and no, really. I mean, I, I was obviously looking at other career changes. I was going to work. I worked for a Caledonian brewery at the time, which was based in Scotland, and I had a really good boss who's a big cricket fan who sort of. A, allowed my time off, which I probably wouldn't have spent that much time in Scotland if I didn't have that. Um, and had spent time in Scotland as well, so it allowed me to train. So it coincided really well. Um, and I was, it was all based on how well I could play just as a batter. And I, I knew I could play, but I didn't know whether I could play at first-class level consistently, um, just as purely as a batsman. Because I was a bowler all my life. It was, I was an opening bowler that could bat sort of seven and eight. So to transform into that, it was always going to sort of playing it year by year. Um, and I think the first year, first four year in 2000, I started playing in 2005, actually, because Durham allowed me to go and play with Scotland. Um, so I did OK. We qualified for World Cups and I started to get the lad, know the lads really well again. And I, I was really enjoying my cricket because I wasn't, wasn't having any sleepless nights about how many balls I was going to bowl the next day. Um, so I started to enjoy the game again. And, and I had some, had some great, fantastic years for the next five years, maybe 2010 I finished. Um, something like that. So I had a great, great time of it. I just enjoyed, enjoyed my cricket. But in the back of my mind, it was the frustrating side of that. I was a frustrated cricketer for those five years because I knew what I could, could offer if I could bowl. And, you know, and I, just, I just had that niggly. I tried to bowl a couple of times. I bowled all right, but it was just, I didn't want to go down that path again. Did you ever in those five years think, oh, I could have another crack at county cricket? Um, 
No. no. Yes, probably. I mean, I could have probably played in a couple of one-day teams. I could have probably easily held my own in the top order of a one-day side. But they weren't around one-day contracts in those days. They were just sort of, you're in, you're in, are you going to play? And, you know, and I, and, I, and I just thought that I had a little bit of interest about whether or not I'd be interested in playing again. But I just knew that once I took that step, it'll be similar to Durham. I'll be bowling in the nets. And, and I just, look, I was 30, maybe 30. I can't remember how old I'll be near 30, maybe 31, that I just thought, yeah, that's not, it's not where I want to be. Do you remember your last game? Is it one that lives in the memory? For Scotland? Yeah. Yeah, I do, actually. It was that, um, yes, I do. It was up in, We actually beat Leicester in a one-day game in Aberdeen. So we'd um, rewind a bit back a week before we played against Afghanistan in a couple of ODI games. And, and I just, I remember fielding at deep square leg and I thought, enough for me I'm, I'm just it's 50 overs it's a long time um, my body was okay I was just I was just wasn't I just wasn't with it so I told the coach last game next week get a double header against uh, Notts and uh, not Hampshire and, um, and Leicester so good women out on a high we only got 16 or something it's a bit disappointing but 23 yeah, you're doing yourself out of seven runs 23. oh did I oh I'll take that I'll take that <laughs> go, ahead, go get everyone I can um yeah, so that was that. So we won and had a big night in Aberdeen that night, and that was me done. And that was a, uh, and I've not really had much to do with Scotland cricket ever since. Oh, is that through choice or through? I mean, you played a lot of games from. Yeah, I think I played 140 games all in all throughout. From obviously when I started in '99, I didn't. I was obviously quite heavily involved in Yorkshire, but I played played quite a lot over a six-year, five, six-year period. Um, oh, it was a tremendous time. I mean, the associate cricket was just starting to was just starting to pick up. Um, obviously, we're qualified for the World Cup again. And then we, I think I played in another three World Cups in, throughout those years, a couple of T20s and a big one in the West Indies. Didn't perform anywhere near where I should have done. Um, you know, those little, a couple of little regrets about that. I think I wasn't full-time. I wasn't taking it seriously as I should have done. And, you know, I wasn't training as hard as I should have done. I just relied on sort of semi being good nick. But obviously at that, you just can't get away with it at that level. You mentioned earlier that you worked for Caledonian when you were playing for Scotland. Was that was that always the plan? Was that something that you were going to go into when you finished playing for Durham, or did that just sort of fall at your feet? Or I was very lucky. I think in terms of transitions, obviously we'll, we may touch on my time at the PCA. I mean, in terms of transitions, that you know, I, I see some really horror stories. To be honest, you think you know it, it's some really difficult, especially for the younger lads to put six, seven years in career in their life to leave school. At, to that GCSE level, do maybe do a couple of A levels, and you, you, you're lost really. Um, but I was very lucky. I I finished school at 16, and then I did my A levels equivalent in South Africa. So I did um, winters in South Africa, going to private school over there, which I was very lucky to to have and learnt my cricket there. Um, but Caledonia just landed on my plate really. As I said, when I finished at Yorkshire, I had, I had nothing. I didn't know where to go. I had no career plans. Um, the PCA were great, but I didn't utilise it. So I used my experience while I was at the PCA because you just think you're invincible and um, somebody will give you a 50 grand job which obviously doesn't happen um, but that um, process from finishing at Durham my first year at Durham I, over the winter I went, I went and did some work experience with Caledonian and spent six months in London um, being a being a rep which I loved absolutely loved I had my own independence you know I had a boss who just let me do what I have to do look at your results at the end of the month and halfway through the second year when I knew it wasn't going to happen they said look if you want a full-time job at the end of this it's there so I was in and out whether or not I was going to have a job and then I thought well I will have a job but 
whether or not I want to play cricket. But I had that security of two options, which some people really don't have. Um, and like I said, I had a, a cricket mad boss, two, my direct boss and my chief exec, my chief exec had played for Scotland. He knew me, I knew him. And so it was just a, a very smooth transition in comparison to, to what, what could happen. Was that them having played for Scotland prior that relationship was that what helped you into the the role at Caledonian was it those relationships that you'd formed yeah more so that uh yeah I played club cricket with my chief exec at at Caledonian and I'll be playing a bit of a couple of games of Scotland when I was qualifying re-qualifying um and of post-1999 so I knew that I knew him well he was a friend of the family um so it was it was just laid on the plate for me um and he he was um he was just like I said, incredibly understanding and wanted to make sure that it was good for Caledonian as well. I mean, I, I captain Scotland for a couple of years, so we got a lot of publicity out of it. And so it worked both ways. Um, what were you doing for them? Was it just, was it sales or? Yeah, I was, um, I started as a sort of an area manager, sort of just learning, learning commercials, really learning a trade, learning P&Ls and just learning a business, which um, PCA just made it very clear to me, look, you've just got to get something, you know, you, I had the character. I was, I've always been quite a personal sort of guy. So I've always, that sort of fitted in with the sort of, with the beer trade, which I think Steve, who was my boss, saw that. Um, he knew I didn't have any qualifications, but he knew that you could get on with people, you can you can sell. And that's what I was doing initially. And so I had two years of that. And then I went into sort of looking after the field sales team. And I looked after some key accounts. Then Heineken took over Caledonia. So all of a sudden we had this huge portfolio and had sort of three years of being sort of head of sales, which was, you know, I progressed nicely every two years. I, I took another step. And then after sort of 10 years there, um, Heineken wanted to take the sales team into a different direction and sort of close down the sort of old school Cascale um, sales team, which worked perfectly for me. And in terms of times, I'd, I'd done enough. Mm. I was ready for a new challenge and the PCA was um, was the next step. And you mentioned earlier the PCA were really great with you. What kind of support did they offer you when you were coming out of the game? Well, it, in those days, it was it was more um, uh, the player approaching the PCA. I don't think they had the personnel like they have now. They, I mean, they've got um, best part of eight sort of the personal development managers that look after three counties um, or two counties each, and they've got full-on uh, projects and portfolios for every single player. Um, in those days, it was just more of a I approached them and just said, as ever, they helped me out with my contract. I got released from Yorkshire, had another year on my contract. So they helped me out with that. So that which rolled into the, the into the process of next steps. And, you know, I, like I said, I, had, I, I didn't have anything. I had no plan. I didn't know what I was good at. And they made it very clear about personality and, you know, get into something that, that you can speak to people and sales seems the obvious choice. And and the next year, they, obviously, I had these con- conversations with Caledonian and obviously they... Um, they didn't really need to play any more part of that really they just sort of but but it's difficult because they don't necessarily have to whilst now they probably lay a lot on the plate for players you know it's down to you can only lead a horse to water um you know in those days it was very much a look there's there's a direction you know you will come to us there's a safety net here if you need it you know and i I got to the stage where i had a job and i was fine i was ready to go um so but in the back of my mind i knew there's always somebody to talk to which it, it, which is it's it's inval, invaluable. You can't put a you can't put a price on that kind of. It's just a peace of mind, you know. It's a peace of mind that that plays a big, big like a big cushion in your in your head. Are they still there for you now? If you know what we're talking, sixty crikey, 
yeah, 16 years on from you leaving the county game, are the PCA still there for you now if you want them? Or is there like a, absolutely. a statute yeah, of absolutely. limitations? No, no, no. It's um they're there. Once you've um once you become once you've been associated, contracted or played um county cricket, you're a PCA member for life effectively. Okay. So anything I mean, like I said, the times I was there I, you know, I'd see some fantastic sort of um, stories the way they've helped people. I mean, they'll help people in New Zealand, you know, the West Indian cricketers who have been associated with county cricket. So the 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 variety the, the is the, sort of be so broad around the world, no age. You, you, once you're a PCA member, you, you're looked after to to um, to a really high level until you die. Um, I mean, you ended up working for the PCA. What what were you doing for them? Were you in supporting players or were you, was your role wider than that? Um, it started, uh, I was head of sort of, I was business development manager. So I worked in the commercial side of the business. So I, we would run a, um, an events program from January through to, to December, uh, ranging from golf days, long room dinners, test match hospitality, um, garden party. So a real broad corporate uh, entertainment plan. And the idea behind that was we would raise funds within each event for, for the, um, what was the, uh, the PCA, it was the PCA trust now. It was the benevolent fund, so that was the reason behind the commercial program was was just purely everything to build a bigger pot as we can for the support, like we touched on previously about these uh, supporting all the PCA members. So it was a great, it was a new, it was a new commercial angle for me, still in sales, but gave me that platform to to, uh, to speak to some really high senior management uh, people at boardroom level, uh, gave me the opportunity to present uh, in front of these guys, and it was just that. It was just another next step for me commercially. It was, um, like I said, I made some great friends that are CEOs of some big businesses, and it just like, it gave me a lot of confidence to go into uh, onto the next step. And then the sort of the role grew into, uh, I think uh, Johnny Grave, our who was our commercial director, is now chief exec of the West Indies left, and and by default I picked up a lot more a lot more responsibility within sort of um, uh, providing roles for players within these commercial partnerships. Um, looking at different ways to raise funds for the charity and obviously managing a few player, people in and around the commercial team. So it turned into a very broad role. I mean, it's only a small team, it's the PC, I think there's only 20 people that run a, a, a big business. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. And, you know, and, um, obviously David Leverdale came in as chief exec. So it's just some new faces and it was, a, it, was, it was a tough time. I mean, obviously it was a tough time to financially, people weren't buying as much as they used to, but, you know, we, we, we kept our head above water and we, we kept providing the services for the players, which was the most important part. Was it important to you to have that role and be able to give something back to the organisation that had done so much for you? Yeah, I mean, if, if, if you're a first-class cricketer now and you, and you don't want to go out your way to help the PCA, I think there's something not quite right in the way that you're thinking. I mean, um, I know it's easiest coming from me because I see, I've seen firsthand how much we do, but I've always I've seen the other side of the fence when I played. I, I didn't I didn't appreciate how much they did. Um, I just knew they'd be there. Maybe get me on a golf day or something. You know, I like the lads, lads, lads kind of stuff. But yeah, having seen firsthand, I think it's um, I think and the amount of communication that the, the comms guys at the PCA give now, there's no excuse to not want to give back because it's you know I, I can't speak highly enough of of, of the business and uh, obviously what they're doing. Like I said. You, the people, the members will see ten percent of what happens. You know, they won't, they won't see, they won't see any of the ins and outs of the confidential helpline and all the people that are being helped behind the scenes. That, you know, it's difficult to um, to sort of describe for the guys in in that sort of area where the money's going to because a lot of it is confidential and a lot of it is to 
is to is to support those guys that don't want to be highlighted. Do you think counties need to do more? You know, should it all fall to the PCA, or do counties need to take more sort of responsibility for when they're releasing players? Yeah, absolutely. I think this is this has been a talking point for a long time. I think you hit the nail on the head that the PCA are just relied on to do everything. And I think the players have this perception that the PCA will deal with it. But the counties, they have to. And I think it's not... A, look, everybody everybody gets released. Everybody gets fired effectively. You know, you come to the end of... You, you know, not, some people earlier than later, some people get through and just retire. But very few get to that level where they decide that they're going to pack in from county cricket. The senior players get forced out. They're on big salaries. Everyone has this real... There's very few people that come out from county cricket without a bitter taste in the mouth of the way counties <clears throat> have dealt with the release. You know, no matter how long people have been playing, business is business. And, and I get it's professional sport and it's really tough to get fired, you know, get released. It's, it's horrendous for anybody, but I still think there's a, there's a better way of doing these things. And I think it has got better in the past. I think there's processes from the PCA that you have to let people know by a certain date so they can look elsewhere. And that's, that's, it's a good step forward, but I still think there's still an element of loyalty that they're not just they're not just um, they're not just there to perform. They are professional sportsmen, but they have they have got feelings. Um, some are hard, some are easier to, to deal with than others. But look, I could talk about this all day about ideas of what what the county should be doing. But I think just to generalise that, I genuinely think the the process and the way things are done should be communicated far far better. Mm. And it's even about, if it's just a keeping in touch, even, even if it's just a um, past player stuff the next year, because yeah. some, some people will get fired and that's it. I don't want anything to do with it again. It, it depends how it's run. If, if, if the process has been terrible, you want to have an association with your county. Yeah. You always want to have an associate. And surely the county want to have an association with the players who, you know, that, that, that performed and um, sort of hopefully kept the, kept, kept the crowds pleased. Do you ever have you still got that association with Yorkshire or Durham? Do you ever go back for past player stuff or anything there? Um, not so much Durham. And look, I've still, I still, you know, I still speak to a lot of the Durham lads. The certainly through the PCA sides, I've got. I had a great two years at Durham, and it was obviously it was only a two year stop gap for me. But and they, like I said earlier on, it was just very much we're all on the same wavelength. They tried to help me out. They gave me the opportunity. So I've got a lot of time for the Durham lads and a lot of time for the cricket club itself. I think it's that. Uh, a tremendous place to play and yeah i've got and mostly yorkshire i've got a huge affiliation with yorkshire i mean i still you know i still watch and follow everything they do and i, and I want them to do so well and you know, as well as they can and you know it's like everything i left on a little bit of a, a bitter taste because but that was more so of me within myself knowing i was just disappointed the way things had sort of ended sort of having those um i've been there since 1992 i think it was and joining the academy and doing the whole second team um apprenticeship shall we say and then obviously having four or five really good years in the first team so it was a and then just to, to fall off a cliff in such a short time it was tough to deal with but it, you know, but I still I bear no grudges and I, I and I enjoy going back to Yorkshire and I've still got a lot of good friends there. You talked about that it can be tough to deal with when you're released did did being released I mean even though you kind of said to Martin look I, I think I need to go <clears throat> did it have an effect on you sort of that leaving the game or did the fact that you played on for Scotland kind of alleviate that? Yes, absolutely. Scotland sort of cushioned that blow. But the, like I said, Martin had effectively got released from from Durham, and it was an awful conversation. I'm good friends with Martin Moxon, and he, <laughs> but it was just it was just. And in the end, I just said, "Look, Martin, you don't have to say you've released me. Let's just say we are. 
we've parted ways and you know, it's not it's never nice to be released twice in two years but Marty said look it's no problem it's uh it was very amicable there's no issues with that whatsoever but um yeah it was about in the way like i said before i was i'd had enough i'd seen enough and I'd, I, was, I was fed up of worrying about it to be honest and you know you, you've left the pca and you're back in the brewing industry. Was beer just too much of a call for you, Gav? Or did you have to? No, go no, back? no, 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 no. I'm not back in there. I'm back in. The, I'm, I'm working for um, a bespoke events company now. So um, I'm, I've just yeah, it's called Pure Cope. Yeah. So we've been. I started that uh, 18 months ago, a year last November. Obviously, then with, um, a, a guy who I used to work with closely at the PCA offered me a job there. So I so started that November and had a great three months, and this kicked in. It, and you couldn't pick a worse sort of sector to be in. So, but over the last sort of six to eight weeks, things have picked up and um, uh, got given the ND job about uh, eight weeks ago, which is tremendous. So I'm overseeing and starting to sort of pick up the pieces from the last year or so. But we're very lucky to have some very sort of loyal clients that are, seem to be sort of chomping at the bit to get going. So what do PureCo do then? Is it corporate events? Yeah, we're very much a, uh, not so much hospitality, just a very much a bespoke company. We only look after sort of 10, 10 clients, sort of 10, 10 senior clients of ours. So we're very, um, we're sort of very close knit. So we will have a couple of key account managers that look after two or three each and they're very hands-on, um, purely bespoke, purely, uh, it'll just be around the years planning of events for these guys. So everything will just be diarized and delivered uh, on time. So um, we're not a big hospitality company. It's just um, as and what people want, um, and, and we try and make it work. So it's uh, it's quite niche, but you know, it's it's competitive. Obviously, now everyone's starting to uh, let the shackles off and get out and get out there. But um, it's, uh, it's I think it's going to be a good place to be in the next few months. Obviously, I mean, COVID must have had a huge impact on that. You, is it? Have you been able to access support government-wise to keep you going? Is that? Yeah, absolutely. We were. I think we'd like everything sort of this time last year, one thought it'd be gone by June. So we tried to ride it out. And obviously with no money coming in with events being canceled left, right and center. I mean, we had, we had best part of 60, 70 events lined up for last year. So having to have to deal with that, the logistics of a refunds and then third party people we deal with. It's been a, it's been a, it's been a mucky affair over the last sort of six to eight weeks. Uh, but we're getting there. I think the good thing is people are understanding. I think it's unprecedented. And I think, a lot of people have just accepted. Yes, they're gonna they're gonna lose some bits, but we sort of August September hit us hard last year because literally no income, uh, six seven staff. Uh, furlough was running out. I think by August they were going to stop it in September. So we we were looking at shutting the doors probably October time, which is it's unheard of from the position we were in February. Uh, and then obviously we extended it, which gave everyone a lifeline. And you know without that, without that extension from last. September onwards I don't think there'll be many uh, events companies around so we're lucky we're um we've still got quite a few people furloughed I'm starting to come back hopefully next month more so more than than what what uh that I have been doing so um yeah it's a touch wood it should be okay what kind of skills you mentioned earlier about you've always been a people person you've always been able to get on with everyone what other skills from your playing career have you been able to take from your on-pitch career to your career off the field um a lot of it is i mean 80 percent of that i think is just is being a people person i think it's like everything it's you know we can talk about other stuff but i think it's i think i've been quite good to 
be able to relate to people and, and sell in a way that's not pushy. I think it's something I, I think there's something I've picked up um, over the years, more so on the commercial side, is knowing when to talk, willing to when to talk business and when not to. The saying that is from the sports side of things. I mean, it, I've always had a real competitive edge to me. I've always had that sort of um, um, accepting challenges. I've always enjoyed that, and I think you'll see that taking a lot of that into the commercial side. I mean, but and as well, I mean, I, I mean, we talk about mental health. I mean, I, it was in two thousand or two thousand and one. Um, yeah, when I came back from the England tour at the end of that first year, I was struggling a little bit with my bowling, and at the time, I didn't realise it was a I was I was I was going down that dark alley of depression and it was um so I had two or three years of it obviously with 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 the yips and I didn't sleep I'd sleep an hour a night for three or four years it just got I didn't eat and it just got it just got too much and and I know how bad it was but at the time yips wasn't a thing um you know you dare talk about it you just people you know um um, people perception of you that you were weak and you're looking for ways out it was just an awful position to be in and I look at that and I think you know that things can't get much worse and you know you get to that stage where you just think you know it's I've got you know I lost the deal last night I'll get over it you know it's I don't I've never since then really taken well since actually I'm lying actually because I took it quite seriously whilst playing for Scotland because I was still resenting it but since I finished playing cricket I've never really worried too much about a lot of things and I think that's a good way to look at business I think it's it's not life-threatening. It's not gonna. It's not gonna hurt you. You know. It's just a. You know. And I've soon realised that, like in professional sport, your your form it swings in roundabouts, and so does sales. So a lot of it, subconsciously, just fell into place. You know. You don't realise the skills you pick up as a sportsman. Do you start. Um, a lot of people that I speak to talk about sort of missing that competitive element or that you know that idea of winning and losing. Does with working within sales, when you get a big sale, does that? sort of replace that competitive element you know i've got to make that sale or or is it does it not compare for you uh, more so you know i i i did a i did a, a zoom um a, se- a seminar with the pca myself uh david nash and warren heck we're all in sort of similar roles and warren's obviously at lancashire doing his marketing and sales corporate sales and david's got his own business and we all agreed it's it, it more than replaces it. You get a good deal in it. It's tremendous. It doesn't even need to be a lot of money, but you get, so you get a signed contract or you get something you've worked really hard on. It's tremendous. You know, it more than replaces it. I think it's, it's more of a, it's a different kind of um, uh, satisfaction around sort of performance. Obviously it's a lot of it's for the business. You do it for yourself. And you, whereas obviously when playing first class cricket, you, 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 a lot of it is for your team. You know, you get a lot of real satisfaction about contributing and making sure the team are winning. So it's, that's the only difference, I think, whereas more in sales, you're, you're a little bit more out there on your own, but contributing to the business pot. Was there anything when you came out of the game, when you were working for Caledonian or, or at the PCA, that you kind of went, oh, you know, oh, this is the real world? Was there anything that really kind of hit home, something that you'd always thought would be there that wasn't? I know... Um, one person that I spoke to, they talked about missing that kind of instant feedback where you'd get out and you'd walk in and your coach would go, oh, you shouldn't have played this shot or you yeah. stood on the boundary, you've got some drunk bloke shouting, you're useless <laughs> Hamilton um, or <laughs> whatever. Um, did, was that, is that something that you or missed or kind of recognised that had disappeared from your life? Yeah, I mean, do you know what? Funnily enough, the first thing I, I ever... It was a bit weird because I used to hate pre-season when you're playing cricket. And that first year I didn't have pre-season, it was a massive void in my life. I think it was January the 
obviously wake up for New Year's Day. And that first week in January, I just thought, wow, you know, that you're not being told what to do anymore. Ever since I was 16 or 17, I've been told, you know, what, how to live my life. You know, you've been told what to eat or how to train. Um, so, yeah, that was the big void. Um, so, I, and, I, and I missed it. And that was the first thing that really hit home for me is that, look, I, I'm not being, you know, I've got no restrictions. I can drink what I want now. You know, I can eat what I want now. So that was that was the big one for me. And there's a lot of times around when I was traveling to London in, in and around and had a couple of downtimes at the PCA where I couldn't get a deal over the line. I'm thinking, this is real world. This is what it's all about. Um, so, yeah, there's, there, it, it will happen monthly, I think, where you just think, it's only really now, um, and I'm saying this to my wife, it's only really now over the last sort of year or so, and obviously it's had this time in India as well, where I thoroughly enjoyed living that professional lifestyle again, that you just realize what you had you know it's such a cliche you know you've got to take advantage of it while you can um but this it's only just now when i sort of think i've sort of semi-grown up a little bit that you just realize that you know it's how good a life it is and that's and i i I say this a lot to um current players but i know fine well when i was a current player and somebody said that to me it'll go in one ear out the other so there's i'm well aware of the expectations of how much they're actually listening to me you mentioned that you've just been out to India, you're playing in the the Legends Tournament, the Road Safety Legends Tournament. How did that come about? Where was Who rang you up to ask you to do that? Well, I, I, I'm under no illusions that I think I was on a, I was on standby for somebody pulling out. So, I mean, it was, a, I mean, I got I got the call of Matthew Wood actually at the PCA saying that the, the couple of the lads who, a couple of the Asian lads couldn't get visas because they had, um, I think their parents were Pakistani and obviously there's a few issues mm. obviously getting the visas going into India. So they couldn't get in and they were looking for somebody who's obviously played for England in a very loose term and, um, and was young enough and can still play a little bit. So Matty said, this was on a Thursday. He said, can you get to India uh, by Sunday? So we can imagine the conversation with my wife. I'm going away for three weeks within a two day period. Um, but I had to go to um, Birmingham the next morning to get a visa sorted and I had to get all the flights, etc. And, and I was, and that was it. Within two days, I was flying to Raipur. I was down in London with, Kevin Peterson and Darren Maddy just jumping on a Virgin Atlantic plane and by Monday morning we were training. So within a three-day period, it just it just came from nowhere. But like I said, to have that, you know, just to have that feeling of, look, there's your cricket kit. I'm 46 years old. I've got a new cricket kit. It was really exciting. Uh, got a new helmet, got, you know, playing stuff and got netting and some fantastic pitches in the middle of an 80,000 sort of capacity stadium. It was a great feeling. And Every single lad who was out there said exactly the same. I mean, these lads have played a lot of cricket between us and it's still that buzz of, you know, just having that feeling of professionalism again. It was just, a, it was a great experience. It looked a whole lot of fun. I watched it over here and it, it looked really good, the camaraderie between you and the rest of the England guys, but other the, you know, the opposition teams as well. Did it, what, do you think a Legends tournament over in England would work? I don't think they'll get the same crowd. I don't think. I think the. Uh, I think the pull of still seeing Tendulkar and Sewag and Yuvraj are, are still quite a big pull in India. I mean, I, I'd heard of that. It's the first time I actually toured India. I've toured most of the Test playing nations, but you hear about how big cricket is, and it's just extraordinary. It's it's extraordinary that it is. I mean, I never thought my wildest dreams of playing in front of forty eight thousand people at 46 years old. I mean, that was. That, I mean, that was only because they wouldn't let any more in. So it could have been a lot more. Um, yeah, so it was just uh, it was an experience that I'm not sure it would work in England. I think it would be a good concept. I think it would be, you know, but I think the Indian businessmen have a little bit more money to 
sort of throw around and entice ex-players to come. Um, it'd be great to, to to do something in England, but I think the um, the Indian Indian sort of cricket way of life just just fed fed the um, fed the tournament. I think it was um, it was it was very very well run, um, and it was just like I said, it was an unbelievable experience. Bit of a, a Yorkshire two thousand and one Championship side reunion as well with you and Hoggy and City. Was it was it like you'd never been away? Yeah, do you know what? It, it, it's exactly what we said. Look, I mean, I, I speak to Hoggy every now and again, and I see Ryan every now and again, and you know, I played with, I toured with Darren Maddy and and, and Troughton and Treaders, and I knew Kev quite well, but not 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 obviously not as well as obviously got to know him a lot better. And, and Tremlett, we had just had a really nice bunch of lads, you know, and obviously the Yorkshire guys. It's like everything in professional sport. I mean, I I wouldn't have spoke to Darren Maddy for sixteen years, and I was flying with him like I was. I saw him yesterday. You know, there's little those things you just don't lose in professional sport. You know, you although we never played, I actually did play with him. Obviously, I toured with him, but you play against him for, for over a number of years. And as you know, in those years, it was a lot more social than it was this year. So you'd have, you'd, you'd meet the opposition every night, or give or take, or you'd certainly have a drink with them most nights. So it was, uh, yeah, some great. But it was all it's fantastic to have played with all the guys that were in the same era as me, and it was um, and we understand. And amazing how we managed to get through the twenty overs with the with some of the bodies on show. <laughs> you mentioned mentioned bodies on show and Chris Tremler. Is he just made of granite now, or is it? Does he look? Does he look as impressive in real life as he does on the photos? More so, more so. It's just you stand next to him, and I'm I'm quite a big lad. I mean, I'm six two, and I'm not the skinniest, and he just dwarfs me. And it's it's to see him train. I mean, he, on he doesn't train on game days for obvious reasons, but. You do an hour and a half every day without fail, but train, train, not just pick up a few weights. You go hard, but he's got no desire to to do any bodybuilding. He just loves it. It's just his hobby, and and he's just it's so. If if, he, if you don't know him, he's just a placid, nice man, and it just you know you just think the size of him. He's scary, but he's just a genuinely good bloke, and he's just loved it. But he is impressive is the only word. Um. You know, you've had an impressive career. Do you have, if there was a Gavin Hamilton highlights DVD, what what would be on it for you? What are the the games or the moments that live longest in your memory? Um, good question. I think 1999 World Cup was a bit of a was a kickstart for me. Um, I think in terms of certainly my batting. I think I'd always been at Yorkshire and and sort of batted six, seven, or maybe eight, and and opened the bowling. So I think that was a big confidence booster for me in terms of knowing I could compete at the highest level. But certainly 99, but then that year, 1998 in Yorkshire, the Yorkshire year when I, I, I couldn't have, it's just one of those years where nothing could have gone wrong. I think that 98, 99 sort of period for me was, was, was as, as purple as it gets to say the least. Um, and then to be perfectly honest, and obviously the, um, I could probably name, half a dozen county games at the Glamorgan where I got a couple of fifers and a couple of fifties to temper in the game and the year games when I used to win matches sort of batting at seven and more and the ones that stand out more I think are the games at Scarborough we had uh, I had sort of half a dozen games where real top you know top level performances I'd put in that I'll just never forget you know in front of Scarborough crowds it's still the best best ground in England to play any count any form of county cricket and you know, you feel like you've got 30,000 people watching you. And, you know, I put in a couple of uh, sort of half a dozen games where, you know, sort of man of the match sort of performances that you just, you just don't forget. I mean, you, you, like you said, you, you play for 
sort of 15, 16 years, but the, like you say, there's probably half a dozen performances that you just, you can look back on and think, yeah, I'll, I'll you know, I did okay there. I mean, Scarborough, because 2001 crown champions at, after a game yeah. at Scarborough, that must have been a special mm-hmm. moment. <laughs> it doesn't come any better, really. I mean, of all the places to play counter cricket and to win the championship was and to win the game. I mean, that year it was just, I mean, I, I, I had a pretty ordinary year actually with the bat, but I, I had a good year with the ball and I was injured, I was in and out. So, but I played a good part of that. Um, but that year, I think we used 22 players or something, uh, something ridiculous. But it was just um, out of those, they're just 20, 22 really good mates. It was just, you can't, it's like anything you read about sports psychology and, and putting a team together. It was just one of those years where it was just 22 mates just just performing. But it's you can see the build-up. You look back at it, you can see the build-up from 1998 or 1996 when Darren Lehman came. I can't remember. Yeah. So that was a big turning point when Darren came. He he transformed the team and he, he'll say it as well. You'll just see how we should have won so much. Sort of 98 to 2000, we should have won so much more. Um it's like everything in sport. If you haven't won for a long time, it's not easy. You know, you've got to you've got to find a process, and sometimes that process is just it's just underlying um, sort of ways that find their own way there. You can't can't pinpoint it. And I think you look back on that 2001 when we won it. It was just the sort of the big build up from I'd say from '97 that we we're always going to succeed at some stage. Um, you know, we weren't we weren't the uh, we were very very professional, very sociable. Um, and just just enjoyed our cricket, and I don't know whether that was had an effect on how many times we should have won, or should have won more. But it was just a, it was an unbelievable era to be involved in Yorkshire cricket. And you mentioned Darren there. I I still maintain I've seen some fantastic players, but I still maintain I don't think I've ever seen anyone time a cricket ball as sweetly as as Booth. I think just one of the best batsmen that I've ever seen playing doesn't get the recognition that he deserves on the international stage. No, absolutely. I mean, you'll be. I mean, I didn't realise how much he actually played in international cricket because I, I was oblivious to it a little bit while I was still playing. He played quite a bit, but he, goodness me, he could have doubled, tripled the amount of games he played. And like you say, he just sort of one of those that sneaked under the radar. But unless you were in and around Yorkshire or counter cricket in those that era and seen firsthand how much better he was than any other player playing cricket in those days, um, and that's a that's a big shout. But I, there's. <laughs> I can't think for one second who I've played with or played against that's any better than Darren Lehman, ever. Um, and that's and that's against some decent players. You mentioned like your, your career highlights. You played one test for England. Is there ever part of you that regrets playing that test? Or was it a fantastic experience? Or do you ever think, I wish I'd not? Did it hamper your career just playing that Yeah. Once? I, I wish, if anything, I didn't play that test at that ground in those conditions. I think that was that was the one thing to look back on. I mean, I, I um, you know, I felt I deserved the tour. I think I'd had three or four years where I was knocking on the England door all the time. I think I, I got picked in the in the in the '99 World Cup squad as well. But they thought, well, look, let's just see how he does with Scotland and, and from there on. But look, I got picked on the tour probably as a one-day player. But the sort of in those days we went from November to March. We did five toured for five months. Um, so at the first six to eight weeks were all warm-up games proper touring, you know, real practicing, real acclimatizing. And I, and I played four games and I, I over exceeded my performances. You know, I bowled well, you know, I got, I got good runs and, you know, I bowled tight. And then all of a sudden I was in the frame for the test match. And I was so excited because, it, like I said, of those 
four, three, four years leading up to it, I, I don't think I've failed very often. I don't, if anything, my bad patches were the odd game. I never went through a bad patch. So my confidence was sky high. Um, and then to get picked, you know, I just didn't think for one second that I would fail because, it, you know, this is, the, this is where I was meant to be in my head. Um, I don't know whether you can remember that particular test yeah. match, but we, um, we got to the ground and there was this huge cloud hanging over the ground, actually coming inside the ground. So you could see it. You couldn't see the other side of the ground, the stand. Then as soon as it, so the game was delayed for half an hour because of whatever due, whatever it was. And the, the, the wicket was under, under cover. So within 10 seconds, the cloud just lifted, the sun's out, like typical South Africa weather, we're ready to go and toss. And obviously the wicket was wet fast. And I think we were four wickets down for two runs within 15 minutes mm. so we're always fighting against him and I got I got an absolute peach got caught second slip so I got naught first innings and I'm thinking right come on let's get I, I wanted her to be bowled out quicker so we could bowl on that pitch um, and you know it's just how it all panned out I look at it and I just think you know there's just circumstances like so we got bowled out mid-afternoon so the opening bowlers bowled and then the first change was Alan Mullally and then it was tea time so we started again with the new bowlers with the opening bowlers and then I hadn't bowled a ball and I was a swing bowler. And, and then he had Flintoff who was bowling pitch into the pitch hard. So I didn't bowl until the 35th over. And with the Cookerborough ball and the pitch was flattening out. So I bowled a little bit that night, maybe. Do you know what? I don't actually think I bowled the first day. I can't think of some head. I don't think I bowled the first day. I think we're 34, 35 overs in and then I bowled first. So the opening bowlers start again the next morning. So I've got an old Cookerborough ball, the pitch, the sun's out, the pitch wasn't great. You know, it sounds like a bit excusey, but it was just the way, it was just the way I could see where this was going. And then obviously we got, uh, they got plenty and then they skittled us and I got a, a ball to this day. I don't think I could play again in the second innings at last three overs before the end of play. Um, but it was, it was an experience and it's a story that I'll never forget because I could talk about it. And I, I laugh at it now. I mean, to think that we were four for two Andrew Flintoff was next. I was after him and we were both still in the shower in the first day of my debut. And no, it's not even an exaggeration because it's, we were just, you know, 15 minutes in, you're not expecting to go out to bat at seven and eight. So there's little, little things that just made, you know, it made it what it was. And yeah, and I think I knew I wasn't going to play again after that because Duncan Fletcher, it was his first year and all of this perception that I couldn't play a short ball. And then all of a sudden you start believing it because you got out to a short ball. It was just a, it spiralled and spiralled and then I thought oh, the one day is here and I thought I've got a sniff here and I, but I think Fletcher made his mind up about me and it was just a long shift from there myself and Graham Swan we didn't play a game and we just we realised you know when you're not getting a bat in the nets that you're not going to play the next test match so we had a we had a tough three months but yeah it knocked my confidence a, uh, quite a lot actually because from where I was but then I came back and had a really good year at Yorkshire so I, I sort of built it up again and and then the following year, we won the championship. So I had a good couple of years after that. But I just, it, it, it hit me quite hard because I always aspired to play test cricket, or at least one day international cricket, which I genuinely thought I was good enough in those days. Mention one day international cricket. I always try and find with everyone that I interview, Gav, something that you did once in your career. You had one stumping in international cricket. How does an opening bowler end up behind the sticks with the wicket-keeping gloves on. I remember it was in Mombasa, Scotland v Kenya, and I think it was Steve Tickelo, but the best player, the best Kenyan player, and it was off Magic Hat, because it was, um, it, we were, like I said, we were on Mombasa, we were all in the hotel, we were all eating the same food. 
that was located for. And the next morning on the way to the ground, we had 16 players there. Five of them have gone down with serious virus, a serious, actually seven of them, because two of them had to play through it because we couldn't, but who, who, who didn't have the worst shits? <laughs> that was the way it worked. Who was the least? Who had the least? Uh, people, honestly, it's hard to explain, but the people's tummies were so bloated, uh, they just couldn't get off. They couldn't get off the bus. And when they got off, there was projectile vomiting. It was disgusting. And as, um, like I said, the two of them had to play because they, were, they weren't as sick as the others. So obviously the wicketkeeper went down. The reserve wicketkeeper was out of those two that couldn't leave the hotel. So I wasn't bowling and I, I thought I had to keep. So And I'd done some keeping in my junior years at Kent School. So I, I wasn't completely a novice. But yeah, to be fielding in 42 degrees keeping, it seemed like such a good idea at the time. I did, I was got, ever since then, I had utmost respect for wicketkeepers because it's bloody exhausting. And I'd obviously have to keep people upbeat which I was really loud for seven overs, then I got bored. And I was looking for somebody else to take over. But then I got a stumping in the 40th over something that got me uh, got me into the record book. Did, did it just come naturally? Or do you think, oh, I've got a stumping now? Do you, was it that kind of process? Do you know what? It was just uh, by that stage, I'd had enough of it. They were smashing it. I think they got I think they got 300 or something. And I, it was, the ball wasn't coming to me. That shows how how much they were going at it. And it just, it just it's actually quite a good stumping, actually. I think it was... Uh, Oscar, they just missed it on the outside edge. Um, but it infused me enough to keep going for the next five overs, but never again. But funnily enough, I did okay because we were going to a World Cup in the West Indies that year and they wanted me to go as a reserve keeper so they, they didn't have to pick another keeper. So I practised a little bit over the, over the next three or four months and I just thought, no, this isn't for me. I thought they were joking, but it might have been, might have been my new way into professional sport. A, a th- proper three-dimensional cricketer. Well, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Opening bowler, wicketkeeper, batter. What else do you need? It's like Jimmy You want to sign me. Yeah, exactly. Take your pads off and have a bowl after. It's <laughs> <laughs> exactly where I was, but... You've got, you know, you've got all those memories, amazing achievements. Do you have any memorabilia from your playing days up around your house or is it hidden away or mm-hmm. given away or... No, I've got, as you can probably see here, I've got something behind me. I think that was a batsman of the year for Scotland. And I've got a, a sort of um, um, Hall of Fame stuff from Scotland. I've got my England caps. So I've got two or three things floating around. Yeah, I mean, I've got quite a bit of Yorkshire stuff. I haven't really got a cabinet to put them in, but I do hold on to things. I think it's sort of, you know, like you said, I'm, I'm, I had a good career and had, a, you know, I had, a, had some highlights, but, you know, it's not something, it's like everything in history. You just want to, you don't want to forget the good stuff. You know, I'm very proud of a lot of stuff I achieved. And then there's a lot, like I said, a lot of things I would have changed, but you know, my lad keeps running around behind me. I mean, he's 16 now and he's, he's at, at, at the Yorkshire cricket college. So he's looking to, he loves his cricket and he's sort of um, looking to progress into certain areas of cricket. So it's nice to just remind him that, you know, I could play a bit and I play a little bit of stuff at guys, the second team with him every now and again. Um, so, and it was nice to, um, I've not played while he's grown up, really. So it would be nice to have played. Like, it's obviously in India, so he'll have watched me play for the first time. So those little things. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, I don't hide stuff away. You've got to be, you've got to be quite proud of a few things you've achieved throughout your life. Yeah, I mean, you you are on my wall next to me here with me. 
I don't know if you if you better see that. So I can remember the picture. Woody would be with it, wouldn't he? Yeah, yeah. I remember. Me, it, I remember it well. I remember it well. I thought I thought it was always a good hairstyle he had in those days. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember <laughs> after that photo was taken, you pushed me over in that sodding t-shirt? <laughs> I was such a child, wasn't I? <laughs> yeah, Get one leg shot. in and one leg out of a tea chest dressed as a large green fairy <laughs> dragon, and I just felt two hands in my back as I was pushed flat on my face. But yeah, yeah, you are on good, my wall. It was a it was a good era, wasn't it? Oh, it was a cracking era. I I wish I could have contributed more than dressing as a dragon, but you know, oh, or not a dragon. More than you think. What was it? All right, if you read the press release, they didn't know. We spent ages putting that press release together. But it's like, if you look at the receipt on the costume that we bought, it's a dragon costume. But it was Lisa Pursehouse and Martin Eaton. They went, oh, he can't be a dragon because Cardiff, Wales, Wales. the Morgan, they'll, they'll be the dragon. So um, he's got to be... Dinosaur. We've got to be dinosaur something. or something. Got to be something. <laughs> Scott not... was a genius. <laughs> Yorkshire Phoenix and we'll have a dragon as a mascot. <laughs> Didn't put much thought into our marketing department oh, in those days. Oh, I still reckon they walked into a costume shop and what have you got that's cheap? <laughs> Good old Lisa. Now she's chief executive knots. Yeah, and I still see her. I, I'm in Brilliant. Derby, so I go down. She's doing really well. It's Yeah. I used to I used to live with Lisa, actually. We used to share a house um, while I was at Yorkshire for two years. She's a lovely, lovely lady. Yeah, and... great girl. Great girl. Um. I have a, a, a mild, well, bordering on obsession about squad numbers. And in my head, every professional sportsman that has a squad number on the back had some deep and meaningful art reason why they wore that number. I mean, I've looked through, you wore nine for Scotland, you wore four yeah. for Yorkshire, you wore 37 for Scotland for a bit. Was there any story behind any of those numbers or were they just given to you? Number four was given to me at Yorkshire. That was, I think it was because it was alphabetical in those days. I don't think you had a choice. It may have well have been just because I was H and it was four. So, um, yeah, that was to be orange kit, wasn't it? Uh, number nine, Scotland was given to me. But no, actually, no, I requested number nine, I think. Um, no, it was given to me. Although I think it was, if anything, it was because of, we used to always talk about football and I used to pretend how good I was as a centre forward. So I think that's why number nine came from. But I think it might have been coincidental they gave it to me. Um the 37 was a mistake. It should have been 35 because um, I, I, I do like a gamble and I love my roulette and I used to, I always gamble number 35. So that was always, and I had a couple of big wins on it. So 37 was a mistake. So I've always gone with 35 and I've been with 35 ever since really. So um, yeah, I think I was the number seven once. I can't remember if it was the number, it might have been Scotland. Number seven. I can't remember, but yeah, there was... Um, yeah, there's always some something around it, but 35 is the only real one that had a bit of meaning. Nine was a bit of a mistake, and four was given to me. <laughs> it, when you were given 37 by mistake, did that change your roulette gambling? Yeah, you had to, had to extend the table to add another <laughs> couple of numbers onto it. Yeah. Well, it, I, I was never really that... Um, I never really gave it too much thought around those sort of things. Um, but yeah, no, it was... Uh, it was uh, do you know what? I probably didn't even notice that it was wrong until a couple of games in. Because um, it's like you say, a lot of people ask why you got that number. And I actually had to think why I had 37. I couldn't think why on earth I had it. <laughs> then I realised that they messed up. Oh, that's brilliant. What advice would you give, Gav, to a young player starting out in the game now? What would you say to them? Um, I think 
it's the old, you, could, you, can't, you can't work hard enough. But I think, if anything now, obviously over the last four or five years and how fast the game's going forward, I mean, you've just, you've got to stay current. I mean, what mistakes we made was we, we stuck to our strengths and we, and we, we knew where we slotted into teams um, and we'll work on our strengths. Whereas nowadays, I think you've got to be so versatile. You've got to be able to keep bowl and bat. Um, no, but you've got to be so versatile and you've got to have, and you've got to add value in different areas. You know, you can't just be a batter. You've got to, you've got to have a role as a batter that's at certain times. I mean, I know the, the sort of the detail that, the planning of T20 stuff now that you're going to come in on the seventh over and you're going to back to the night, that kind of thing. It's just staying current, keep adapting, um, and just and yeah, just keep adapting. Work on your strengths and but but work but work on different things daily, um, and be a good lad. I think <laughs> you know, like we touched on, you know, if you you never know what what's going to happen down the line. You know, you've got to you've got to keep learning and you've got to be respectful to your club and you know those those things don't come naturally to a lot of people. And I think you've just got to, you never know when, you know, when you turn a corner, when you're out of the game, who's going to help you. So just, you know, stay, look after your sponsors, which is huge. Look after the club, look after your players. And like I said, just be, just be a good a person as you can. What about someone coming towards the end of the career? You know, maybe some of those that you'd work with when we're or looking to, you know, the PCA mid thirties, last couple of years of the contract, last year of the contract. What about them? What advice would you give to them? Well, hopefully, though, like I said, I think ninety-five um, percent of the players should have some kind of plan in place. And nowadays, I'll be—I'll be, like I said, I'll be astounded if there's not something in place for these guys. And it's—it's it's nailed in so much that you—you've um, um, you've got to do something. So, but for those that aren't, I mean, look, it's—it's not—it's—it's uh, just getting through those first six months. I mean, you've got to. You've got to just look at everything positive around the first six months, but look back on the good stuff. I mean, it's not a, you know, at that time you think it's the end of the world and it, and it's, you know, the, you, you don't know which way to turn, but you look back on the good stuff and like you say about your memorabilia, look at stuff, what you've achieved. Because you're in the, if you're in the game still at 34, 35, you must be a decent player. Um, and uh, obviously don't cut any ties. Just sort of, no matter what happens, you know, stay, stay, friend with, stay friendly with the, with the cricket club. Um, like I said, and just um, and just just do what you have to do to uh, to make those next steps. Speaking of next steps, what what's the future hold for you? What's the the plan for Gavin Hamilton? What are you doing in five, three, five years time? Well, like I said, I've got um, I've got this big project ahead of me over the next two or three years. So that's gonna I've got no intentions of of uh, moving into a different sector pending any uh, strange scenarios. So I've got a, I've got a business to run now, and I've got. Got to try and grow that as best I can over the next three to four years. So that's that's goal number one. And like I said, I've got a 16-year-old lad who's looking to enjoy club cricket and you know just be as be, be as good as he can. So he's going to be leaving the college at the end of next year. So he's got a career to start pursuing. So I'll, I'll help him out with that. And I've got got a newborn actually, fun enough, four four months old. So I've got my hands full with that. So I've got I've got plenty to deal with over the next couple of years. But you know, it's been a it's been awful the last year, but it's been great. And it's been a, in a way of that spending time at home. I mean, I've not spent time at home since I was 16 years old. So, so that's the flip side. It's been, it's been great being at home, but it's sort of given me a lot of clarity on what needs to be done. And, you know, like I say, you just don't take anything for granted. You know, this is literally, you don't know what's around the corner. Um, but, you know, things have changed. And like I said, like I say to the younger lads, you've got to adapt to these things and, and, and do the best you can. 
Is that what you'd say was the, the secret to a happy retirement from playing cricket? What's that? The looking back on your career with delight. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Look, it's uh, it, I can't stress how hard it is, but the um, I think once you come out of professional sport, you do grow up. <laughs> I think it's weird. I mean, I, I never thought I'd actually use those words, but you do genuinely grow up, and you do genuinely appreciate what you know what's important. And like I said, this last couple of years has probably highlighted it. But it's a uh, yeah, it's a it's a it's a different way of life, but. It's just as enjoyable. Having known Gav for years, it was great to catch up with him and hear about everything he's been doing. I love that he was able to give back by working for the PCA and he's now running the company and I wish him every success for the future. He deserves it. Next time on the Back to the Pavilion podcast, we talk to a former Leicestershire cricketer who, like Gav, also represented Scotland. His career spanned five seasons and 118 all-format matches, but he's now responsible for a much bigger project within the game. So join me next time as I welcome Rob Taylor back to the pavilion. That's all from me for today. So take care of yourself and others. Be kind. Bye-bye for now.